Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. On today's program, we have a special message from our radio vault, and Greg Patton will share another story from living in today's world. All of us here at the ministry want to send out a big thank you to everyone who attended our one-day prophecy briefing in Denver on Saturday. We had a great group of folks eager to learn, and it was really encouraging to see folks in person for a conference once again. Up next on the conference schedule is our online prophecy conference. Get your all-access pass today by calling 1-800-652-1144. Check out the list of speakers and topics by visiting the conference page on our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Today we're excited to open up the radio vault and hear from our founder, Dr. E.F. Weber. Dr. Weber believed that America was a great nation because of God. Today, we get to listen to a message from the 1950s that still has strong relevance today. Dr. E.F. Weber now with three reasons the USA is a great nation. God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. And what a rich blessing it is to live in a nation where under God we have freedom freedom to worship God, and freedom to carry on our commerce. Yes, God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. And if you were to ask me why this nation is the greatest nation in the world, I would give you three reasons. The first reason is that we are a Christian nation. Now, I do not mean by that that all the people in America are Christians. We probably have a great many more heathens than we do Christians when you get right down to examining the hearts of men and women. But the nation, in its principles and in its practice, is Christian. The second reason that I would give is the fact that this nation has done more for the cause of missions throughout the world and showing the people of the world the love of Christianity than all other nations combined. Ours is a rich heritage, and the blessing of God has been ours because we are a Christian nation with our churches, with our worship to the true and living God, and carrying the message to the regions beyond. The third reason that I would give is, without a doubt, the most important of the three. God has smiled upon us as a nation because... As a nation, we have loved the Jew whom God loves. Now, I know that in this nation there are anti-Semites. I know that there are those who would persecute the Jew. But I'm talking again in generalities. I'm speaking of the nation, the fact that in a warm-hearted manner we have thrown open the gates of welcome. And for the first time, the Jew has found a nation where he's not only been welcomed, but has had equal opportunities with all other men, even to worshiping God according to the light that he has. And while blindness in part hath happened unto Israel, it is our sincere and earnest prayer that enlightenment will come. It is for this reason 
And I am bringing this that you may know from the scriptures the great importance that God places upon this people and that we ought to know these things and that we should know the destiny of Israel. Of course, a great portion of the Bible is given over to the history of Israel and God's dealing with them, their rebellion against God, their turning away from God until they broke the everlasting covenant, the covenant of blood, and then despised Messiah when he came and crucified him. The day is coming when Messiah will come the second time. Gathered there on Mount Zion, where I worshipped with Israel a few years ago, in Jerusalem, the Lord will come again. This time, enlightenment will be the portion of Israel. They will welcome him. It seems that in my mind's eye, I can see that marvelous scene, the great concourse of Jews that are gathered with outstretched arms waiting to welcome him who will come back again the second time, bringing with him the redeemed of all ages. And then their eyes will be opened, and the glory of the Lord will be their portion, and they will lead in the administration of the government of the kingdom of our God. Now, my dear friends, it would take months of teaching in order to give all the prophecies, both by the major and minor prophets, concerning the history of Israel, their dispersion among the nations. For instance, when I turn to Amos, I read these words from that shepherd boy prophet. He said, For lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve. Yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say, The evil shall not overtake us. That's the tenth verse of the ninth chapter of Amos. Now just think of that. Here was a nation that had known the favor and the blessing of God. As I have stated, they were invulnerable. No nation could succeed in coming against them. God destroyed 37 kings of kingdoms in order that they might have their inheritance. And now, coming to the point where they were a great and a mighty nation, they were ready to boast that nothing could ever happen to them. They turned away from God. They sinned. They figured that they could sin with impunity. Can you see the handwriting on the wall? God said, every one of them who have thus turned away and are sinners of my people they'll die with the sword. God said, they don't need to think that just because they are my people, just because that I've raised them up to be a peculiar people and a witness in the world, that therefore they can sin with impunity. God said, they'll die with the sword. I'll scatter them among the nations. I'll sift them as corn is sifted in a sieve. So Amos is informing them that their conceit cannot protect them, although they flatter themselves that they would escape. Now, you know that the Jews have been tortured, oppressed, robbed, and butchered by many nations down through 2,600 years of those awful persecutions. King David gave many prophecies concerning Israel. And looking into the future and speaking of their sins, the king himself wrote of the retributions 
that would come upon the people for their sins. Is what David wrote. Thou hast given us like sheep appointed for meat, and hast scattered us among the heathen. Thou sellest thy people for naught, and dost not increase thy wealth by their price. Thou makest a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and derision to them that are round about us. In the 44th Psalm, verses 11 to 13. Now listen. I could spend all the time we have just showing how this great prophecy was literally and actually fulfilled in minutest detail. This great prophecy by King David has not only been fulfilled among the heathen countries, but in the vast majority of what has been called the civilized nations. Even this nation has not been free from the guilt of persecuting the Jews. As a nation we have not. But there have been many, and there are today, you can read their literature on every hand. For some reason or another, they flood my mail with it. These Jew haters, they seem to somehow chuckle when they mail to me everything that they write against the Jew, and I read it just to find out how low they've sunk. So we saw the fulfillment in an extreme manner during World War Number 2, when in the bake ovens of what was called a Christian civilized nation, Germany, slaughtered six million of the 18 million Jews that inhabited the earth. One-third of all the Jews were butchered and murdered. We see the fulfillment of the prophecy. One could scarcely dream that King David was in his right mind. There he was the king of the greatest nation in the world, the most prosperous and the most forward nation. And here he's telling them that they'll be butchered like sheep are butchered for meat. Well, old Hitler didn't butcher them for meat. He butchered them for soap and took their bodies and made soap. Oh, and that was a supposedly civilized nation. Yes, the Jews have suffered fearfully. And I'm leading up to that which we will say in future messages, because the day of their heartache, their extreme heartache, lies just before them. I've told you all down through the years what would happen to the Jew. I've told you that the day would come when the communists would ruthlessly try to take over their country and, and enslave them. The day will come. Yes, we stood there. We, we marched up and down the hills of Palestine. We spent our time there six long weeks familiarizing ourselves with that country. I stood there in the valley of Megiddo, and I saw the very pathway that the armies of ancient days marched over those hills invading that land. And one day upon those very hills, the great hordes of Soviet Russia and her satellite nations will come like a flood with the greatest air aromata in the history of all time that will blot out the sun, and then God will blot them out. And then when they're blotted out, the Jew will think, well, now, once again, we're going to be at our ease. There will arise upon the ruins of the destroyed communist nations a fascist organization which is in existence at this very time and which is the most powerful political organization in all of the world. The wealthiest and most powerful operating right in our midst with great pressure upon Washington at this very day and the people of this nation are so blind they don't even know that it exists. Out of that will come the Antichrist. Out of that will come the world ruler. 
The Federal Council of Churches will welcome him. They will gladly welcome him. They will say, this is the man that will cause wars to cease. He will be the head of the United Nations organization and the head of all organizations. He will deceive the people. Israel will say, at last, we're going to be at peace. One of the first things that he will say is, now, you go ahead and rebuild your temple and you set up your ancient form of worship and you carry on. And that's exactly what they'll do. And they'll form a pact with him, an agreement. The agreement is that they are to have their liberty to worship God. And indeed and in truth, all preparations for that are being made in Palestine right at this very hour. You know, my friends, if I were living way back in the days of the prophets and were to tell you that these are the things that will happen in the world, if I were writing 2,700 years ago like Isaiah and the psalmist and others, oh, my friends, you would say, well, he's telling us that those things will happen, but my, do you suppose they ever will? This is the greatest nation in the world. Do you suppose they'll be scattered in all the nations of the world? And then do you suppose in the end time of a dispensation they'll gather back there in Palestine? Do you suppose that Palestine will lay as a desert waste for 2,000 years that the Turk and the Arab will scarcely be able to eke out a meager sustenance? And then do you suppose the day will come when the world will be electrified by the news that the Jew is going back to his homeland? And then do you suppose that for the first time in over 2,000 years... Miraculously, the latter rains will fall again. The rain that never fell during their dispersion, the rain that never fell to mature crops, for you cannot mature a crop in that country without the latter rain. They began to fall the very year, the year 1917, when Allen B. delivered the country. Everything is happening before your eyes. I was not able to visit the great Hebrew University because at that time it was used as armistice headquarters when I was over there. But there is that great Hebrew University now. Of course, everywhere you go among the Jews, when you arrive in the morning and the waiter comes to bring you your breakfast, shalom, everywhere. And what is the meaning of that magnificent word? That is the greeting. They don't say, how do you do? They don't say, hi, shalom. It's a beautiful word. It has a musical ring to it. It's a great prophetic word. It means peace. Yes, we're living in a day when the very greeting of that people is peace, when there shall be no peace until Shiloh come and bring Shalom with him. Now, I know that there are many Jews that listen to me, and I'm talking to you out of my heart, as God has laid the message upon my heart. And so we have seen the fulfillment of those things. Why will people still be blind if I couldn't point to you the fact that you have the evidence before you? All of these things have been fulfilled or are in the process of fulfillment right now. Moses gave a great prophecy in Leviticus that is certainly worthy of our notice. He warned the people of the judgment that would come upon them if they departed from their divine covenant and trampled the laws of God underfoot. Moses was used of God to give them the laws. Moses, who under God saw the liberation of three million slaves. How? There wasn't the sound of a gun fired. Not even an arrow flew from a bow. Moses whittled a stick. God said, what have you in your hand? Moses had taken that stick, just like you or I as we walked through the woods. 
might whittle a stick and use it for a walking stick. God said to Moses, what is that in your hand? Moses said, a stick. God said, stretch it forth. And Moses stretched it forth. And the waters of that Red Sea, a few years ago, it was my privilege to fly the length of that great body of water. An enormous sea. You know, I've always imagined it was just a, a sort of a small lake or something. Oh, my. We traveled for hours as we flew over the Red Sea. And he stretched forth that rod in the waters. The hottest body of water in the world was congealed. The waters of the Red Sea are at the boiling point. And there they froze. They stood upright as in heap. They congealed, God said. There was the great miracle. Moses and the three million that he had liberated walked through the Red Sea dry shod. And then what happened? Pharaoh said, as he dashed madly after them with his armies, he said, if they can do it, I can do it. He started after them. And then God blew with the wind and the seas came together again and there was one pharaoh who was not buried in the pyramids. He and his vast army perished as the floods came together and they drowned. Moses warned them, listen to the warning, and I will destroy your high places and cut down your images and cast your carcasses and the carcasses of your idols and my soul shall abhor you. And I will make your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries under desolation. And I will not smell the savor of your sweet odors. And I will bring the land under desolation. Your, and your enemies which dwell within shall be astonished at it. Now just ponder that for the moment. The enemies who knew that here was a nation whose God was the Lord and that no nation could come against them. And now when they see that God abhors them, the enemies are astonished. I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you. That's exactly what happened. The sword of the Turk was turned against them. And your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. That's the 26th chapter of Leviticus, verses 30 through 33. And again, my friends, I remark to you that all of this has happened. Oh, there are so many of these prophetic quotations concerning the Jews and concerning their heathen neighbors and the things that would happen. Listen again, over here in Jeremiah, Jeremiah the ninth chapter, verses 13 through 16. And the Lord said, Because they have forsaken my law, which I set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walked therein, but have walked after the imagination of their own heart, and after Balaam, which their fathers taught them. Therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed you even this people with wormwood, and will give them waters of gall to drink. Now listen to me. The Jew have drunk the bitter waters of wormwood and gall throughout 2,600 years. Why? Because they turned their back on God. No nation can turn its back upon God and boast of it. Now let me read on. I will scatter them also among the heathen whom neither they nor their fathers have known, and I will send a sword after them till I have consumed them. Poor, unhappy, unfortunate Jews. They sin grievously. God has punished the one that he said was as the apple of his eye. Oh, how God loved them. He loved them so much that he sent his son to redeem them. He came to his own, and his own received them not. Yes, they've suffered greatly. They not only broke their covenant with God, they forsook their worship. They went into idolatry with the pagan neighboring peoples, but... 
even those who had not gone so far as this, finally rejected and brought about the crucifixion of the Lord of glory, Jesus Christ. They mocked him in his agony. And when Pilate tried to release Jesus and declared that he had examined him and found that there was in him no crime, that he was innocent, then they screamed in their rage, Crucify him. Let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Those were the most unfortunate words that ever fell from the lips of any people. In other words, they said, If it be a sin to crucify this Christ, we are willing to bear the responsibility of that sin. While I was in Jerusalem, a Jewish gentleman walked into the King David Hotel. He greeted me. Shalom. Of course, I returned the salutation. And then in flawless, perfect English, he said to me, Now listen. He said to me, We Jews have suffered all these years because we crucified our Messiah. And then he began to quote New Testament scripture after scripture after scripture. Now listen to me. He was not a Christian. He was a guide over there in Jerusalem. We spent several days together. His knowledge of the Bible was magnificent. And he said, we're longing for Messiah to come again. This is our hope. They said, his blood be upon us and upon our children. That prayer has been answered. Down through the centuries they have continued in their blindness to reject the Messiah, and they have suffered beyond human language to describe the agonies through which they have passed. No people have ever lived to suffer as they have suffered. It looked again and again and again as though they would be exterminated, but God said no. In all their heartache, I'll be with them. God has been with them. God has miraculously preserved this people. Nations who have persecuted them have passed out of the picture, ceased to be a nation. Egypt, whom God said, I will judge. Egypt, the greatest nation of antiquity, the nation that ruled all of the then known world. I visited all of that country. I've seen the glories of the Valley of the Nile. That magnificent nation became a fifth-rate nation unable to govern itself from that day to this. And they are today the most backward of all the people on the face of the earth. God judged them. Everything that God said would happen to people has happened when they've turned their back on God. How we need a revival in America. How we need to come back to the scriptures of God. How we need to search our hearts and get down on our faces before God in repentance and in humiliation, in the confession of our sins and in prayer to God. Until the next regularly scheduled broadcast, may God richly bless you all. We've been listening to our ministry founder, Dr. E.F. Weber, deliver today's message. We've put together 12 of Dr. Weber's messages and are making them available today. Six hours of sound biblical insight filled with timeless relevance for today. Get your copy of the Old Time Gospel in Prophecy by Dr. E.F. Weber for a gift of $30 or more. 
Call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order this special set online at swrc.com. That's swrc.com. As we begin a new week together, it's always good to be reminded of God's faithfulness and love for each one of us. No matter what we're going through, God is there for us, and He'll never leave us. Author and pastor Greg Patton stops in now for some reminders that we all need as we are living in today's world. At 18 years of age, I was the youngest regular television news reporter anywhere in the state of Indiana. Every day on the news there, Channel 21 ABC affiliate in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And just great things happening all the time. And one of the greatest, President Gerald Ford, was coming to Fort Wayne, Indiana to speak at our Memorial Coliseum. As a result of that, somehow, our news director managed to get an exclusive interview. We would be the only ones to be able to talk to President Ford after his appearance at the Coliseum. It was so exciting. I'm chief photographer for TV 21, and Harry Gallagher, the newsman, chief anchor, came and said, you know, you're going to film this thing. Once you're in a suit, the whole nine yards, get the team looking really good, and we have to have this thing perfect, Greg, when they lock us up there at the Marriott in that room. And, oh, that's a lot of pressure. Want to make sure all the film, everything is perfect. Okay, so we had all of our stuff. Then we were there a couple of hours before. Secret service everywhere. Well, here's what happened, ladies and gentlemen. I'm prepared. I'm behind the camera. Can't wait for our news anchor, Gallagher, to get there, the president to arrive, and sit down. Going to do a 20-minute interview. Mr. Gallagher had worked about three weeks getting some really good questions together, as I understand, for this interview. But here's what happened. There was no Harry Gallagher to interview the president. I remember Ron Nesson coming into the room there, and he said, look, that door is going to close in two minutes. You guys are the team here from Channel 21. I need to know that if this Gallagher does not arrive, is there anyone here who will interview the president of the United States? And everybody looked at me, and I'm thinking, oh, this can't be happening. I have no idea what the issues are of today, what's going on. I said, yeah, uh, we'll do the interview with the president. And I got instantly ill just thinking about now I've got to go from the camera to on the set and talk to President Ford about something and sound halfway intelligent. I began to pray up a storm, my friend. I really did. And all of a sudden, I saw flashing lights and siren, etc. And the Indiana State Police, somehow there was a stalling vehicle with Gallagher, but they picked him up and got him there. One minute before they sealed those doors to the room, I was never so happy to see a man in all of my life. But it was so much fun being able to be in the presence of all these folks and having my picture taken with the president and all of that. Yeah, you just never know. Be ready. Be instant in season and out of season from your workplace to if you're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ or something about it, you need to be ready, my friend. There are a thousand stories living in today's world, this has been one. We've put together 12 of Dr. E.F. Weber's messages and we're making them available today. Six hours of sound biblical insight filled with timeless relevance for today. These messages look at the gospel in prophecy. Get your copy of the Old Time Gospel and Prophecy CD set for a gift of $30 or more. 
Call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Tomorrow, Pastor Larry and James Collins look at breaking news straight from today's headlines, and Marvin McElvaney will have a timely Bible in the News update. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.